Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to our series covering the book of Hosea. Before we jump in, we wanted to offer a quick word about the sensitive nature of this book. Hosea is full of really intense imagery um, and often pretty sexual imagery. So if you're listening with your family or with kids, you might want to be a little careful. Yeah, we're not going to get crazy explicit, but you just might want to use discretion when uh, diving into this book with us. But we're excited to preach Christ out of it and go through the book of Hosea with you. Here we go. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast, and welcome to the last episode on the book of Hosea. The final, final episode. Yeah, so what are these last three chapters mainly about, Seth? Yeah, we're going to set up, we're actually going to go back a little bit into chapter 11, Mm -hmm. uh, which we ended on last time to just set up the context a little bit. But really, this is Hosea's final warnings uh, to Israel, and it's mostly all bad news. Israel's history is going to continue to repeat itself. Mm -hmm. Israel will continue to trust in political powers and false gods. And as they do so, they're going to fall deeper and deeper into powerlessness and eventually destruction. But the good news of the book of Hosea is that God will not give up on his bride. Mm. He's actually going to go to any lengths to woo her and call her back out of exile, even if that costs his own life, which obviously one day it will. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's where we're going. That's yeah. the that's the the that's the book, the ending of Hosea. Yeah. But to set it up, we need to go back. We talked about out of Egypt, we'll call my son. Yes. And how Matthew picks up on this. Mm-hmm. Like we feel like Matthew's taking liberties, and he's not. <laughs> he was just reading the text well. Yes. But there's also a whole bunch going on there with Egypt as like a category to understand the last half of the book. So. Yes. So while while chapter eleven winds down this la- one of these last sections of woes against Israel, it also opens up the last section. Um, of the book, which which uses Egypt and the Exodus story as a central metaphor to um, explain to Israel in one last ditch effort what their actual situation it's is. It's funny how like Exodus is like, okay, guys, you're not getting this. Let's go back to the Exodus. <laughs> like I feel like that happens. Back to the ABCs. Go back to the ABCs. Remember you were saved. Yeah. Let's let's keep that. Let's keep that going. Remember what you did back then. Don't do that anymore. I feel it's like that's so true. a pretty common thing. It's very common throughout thing. scripture. Well, I mean, I think they call it like the 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 Exodus story is the gospel of the Old Testament. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've heard that. 
that too. It's the thing that needs to get repeated over and over again. Uh, and so um, God explains that he loved Israel so much. Like he's putting himself in Hosea as the husband's shoes. And he's saying, I loved you and I carried you out of Egypt. I wrapped you up in compassionate arms and I bound you with cords, but they were cords of kindness. Mm-hmm. And I pulled you out of Egypt to bring you to myself. But the harder I pulled, the more you ran away from me. Yeah, Deuteronomy even says, uh, I carried you through the wilderness like a father carries his son. Yeah. He's pulling on Deuteronomy language, but yes. he's also saying, and like a rebellious kid, no matter how fatherly and loving I were, you just went further and further away. That's right. And so he says, now uh-huh. then you're going to, and, and he ends up picking up on almost every aspect of the Exodus story, and it's achronological. Like, so the, the like, order is all over the like place. the plagues, and then yeah, like, the exile, the Red Sea. Right, but right now we're going back to maybe even like the the days uh, like at the end of Genesis when Israel first went into Egypt. He said, you're going to go, you will not return to the land of Egypt. This time I'm going to send you into Assyria. So you're going to enter into a new time of captivity, a new time of enslavement, just like you had those 400 years of enslavement uh, under Egypt. Now you're going to enter into a new time of of enslavement, but it's going to be worse. It's going to be under Assyria. I don't think we've talked about this yet, but one of the things that's really important to know about Hosea, Hosea doesn't believe that Israel will actually escape punishment. No, it's inevitable. Like, um, I think we hear a lot about repenting and returning to the Lord, and we'll talk about that today as well. Mm-hmm. But that's almost always a future-oriented thing. That's right. It's that's like, that's for, for generations generation. in the future. Yep. So when he says, you're going to be like Assyria, it's like, there's no hope that they're going to escape Assyria, mm-hmm. right? Right. And... <laughs> well, yeah, and that's picked up in the fact that it's uh, Jose and Gomer's children that he first calls not my people and then says, I will call not my people, my people. He's saying not our generation, but the next generation. Mm. Our children maybe right. will be called my people again. Right. A future hope. So, yeah. and, and so that's what they should be picking up on. It's like, oh, if going into Assyria is going to be our new Egyptian punishment kind right. of thing, then we should be expecting to be there for the long haul because our ancestors were there for 400 years. Right. Then answer this question. Then why doesn't that just undercut any motivation to do right? Oh, sure. Because I've, I was, as I was reading, I was like, okay, if Assyria is guaranteed, why should they repent if right. it's guaranteed to happen? Personal salvation instead of corporate salvation. Meaning, like, individuals still might be saved. Would you say Hosea, though he uh, it will be bound up in the exile to Assyria because of where he lives, is equally as guilty before God for the sins of Israel? No. No. He stands apart because he's faithful. And, like, Hosea mm-hmm. mentions that there will be this remnant of people. So there's hope, even in exile, that you can still have a relationship with God and still be humble and serve him and trust him only even though your nation's still going to get wiped away. So yes, the righteousness of, of, of a small pocket won't ultimately save Israel from being swept away by Assyria, mm. but it will. It could still mean individual salvation, though it might mean corporate destruction. And that goes back to a couple of the different other things we've been seeing. It's like trusting in political powers. It's like, yeah, actually all the political power might be stripped away from Israel, but you'll still have a deeply personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Right. And that's actually worth losing all the political power you can Definitely. Hope for. And I think that's the picture that God is painting when he tells Hosea to take Gomer out into the wilderness and to be alone with her in a period of sexual abstinence. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, let's strip it all away. Let's get back to the beginning. And he's going to pick what up on that. non-sexual abstinence? <laughs> non-sexual abstinence. Like, I'm abstaining from coffee. Got it. <laughs> So a New Year's resolution. <laughs> a New Year's resolution is non-sexual abstinence. Uh, yes. 
Uh, good thing we gave that disclaimer at the beginning of the show. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> okay, so um, anyway, so he 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 says you're going to go back into um, a time of captivity, and uh, and it's going to be under Assyria. And there you're going to experience my burning anger, you know, Mm -hmm. but he says it won't be full. Like, I'm not going to utterly destroy you, uh, but I will keep a remnant. Um, And And a remnant just means a small pocket of true believers. Yeah, uh, some leftovers. (laughs) Leftovers. (laughs) A small pocket of of believers that were faithful to God through it all. Um, And so that brings us uh, up to chapter 12, but it just... It's really important for us to flag the Exodus story because gonna it's going to get picked up more yeah. and more. Okay, yep. cool. And then we have get introduced to Ephraim, which we've seen before, but Ephraim mm-hmm. is just another name for... Israel. Israel, right? The northern kingdom. And the first judgment we hear about Israel in this next passage, it goes even back further than the Exodus. It goes mm. back to the very first like stories we hear about Judah, the person, Israel, the person, or, J- or, or Jacob. Jacob, sorry, Jacob. Jacob, the person. Uh, yeah. From Genesis. Yeah. 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 Jacob was an interesting character, right? He, uh, like he, his name, what is it? His name means tricker, like trickery? trickster, trickster. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, he was a twin and he like grabs his brother's heel, which is like an, uh, Hebrew idiom for like being a trickster. Yeah, and uh, it's like he pulls him back into the womb, and right? Comes out yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then like uh, he tricks his brother Esau for his birthright. He tricks his father for his blessing. He and then manipulates he, the angel of the Lord by wrestling him to the ground and waiting for him to bless him. Yes, yeah. Like he doesn't do. He tricks uh, Laban when he's mm-hmm. out with his sheep or goats or whatever. There, like he's a trickster. Yeah, and and God compares Israel to Jacob. Because yeah. Jacob's name got changed to Israel. Right. It's and the fa- it's, he's the forefather of Israel. Yes, and we're told in the name-changing ceremony why he's changing their name to Israel. And because the word Israel means to strive with God or to wrestle with God. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Israel, you've really lived up to your namesake because you really keep taking me to the mat. Yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you keep striving with me. You keep, you know, being tricky. And so the reason why this shows up here is like the inevitability of judgment that's coming. It's like you've not progressed beyond your name. Like right. who you were in the past has remained consistent throughout your whole history with me mm-hmm. as a people. You're still striving with me. You're still struggling with me. You're still wrestling with my commands. And I can no longer bless you because you're so disobedient. Is that the Yeah. Point? And I think there's also, so yes to that. And then there's also a thread of hope in it because yes, Jacob wrestled with God, but that led to a blessing. Mm-hmm. Like there was still some semblance of, um, of 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 a heart that wanted God, like that wanted Him, and so at the end of the comparison between Israel and Jacob, we hear in twelve six. So you, by the help of your God, return and hold fast, and that's like the same idea as as, oh, as yeah, like Jacob wrestling. holding fast to the angel until he would bless him right. in the wrestling. Now hold fast but to love and to justice and wait, continue on God. He's like, go go back to that moment where I blessed Jacob Let's, and yeah. wrestle with love and justice hmm. and hold fast to them until I come and return. Because you're going to go into exile. It's going to be bad. You're going to have to hold on fast to love and justice if you're going to survive. And you need to wait for me. And then I will bless you when the sun comes up after exile. Yeah. Just like it did in the Jacob story. And then verse 10, he kind of says, he, he introduced, I guess Hosea is uh, speaking for God, basically, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave 
parables. And um, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up out of Egypt. And by mm-hmm. a prophet, he was guarded. Ephraim is given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will pay him for his disgraceful deeds. Well, I think the reason why I bring that up here is that, okay, uh, this is the way that Ephraim will be saved, Israel will be saved, mm-hmm. is by holding fast to love and justice in a way they haven't so far, and by listening to the words of a prophet, right? So in Hosea, God is like, I've sent you all these prophets before. Right. Hosea is another one of these prophets. If you listen to him, if you hold fast to love and justice, you will be saved, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think there's something else happening here too that's pulling on the Exodus story. So he talks about how Jacob had to flee to the land of Aram out in the wilderness away from mm-hmm. uh, the promised land um, to find like a wife and he, ser- he served there. Uh, he went out is the idea. Like Jacob goes out to find his wife. Yeah. Um, and then the in, in uh, the Exodus story, Israel had to go out from Egypt in order to oh, find God. To find God, and right. And so now he's saying, I'm taking you out again, but this time out of the promised land and mm. into exile, and that's where I'll find my wife again. Mm. So just as Jacob found his wife, just as Israel found God, both while they were taken out, now God is saying, I'm going to do the same thing to you. I'm going to take you out, and there in the wilderness you'll find me. It sounds like more mercy than Yes, judgment. it is mercy. He's, he's ripping them out of the systems that they've built that keep them from being able to follow God. Mm. Like he's tearing their allegiances to their kings out of their hands. Um, so what's the role of the prophet in there? Moses, is the is he, is he talking about Moses there? By a prophet, yep. the mm-hmm. Lord brought yeah, him out yeah, of he's Egypt? he's definitely talking about Moses there, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, I think he's also like just trying to like show that they are linked into their history. Uh, you know, and and he's and he's done the work already of linking them to the Exodus story, linking them to the Jacob story, and now he's bringing all that back to say, yes, you're going into exile, but you going to Assyria, yes, it's like you going to Egypt, but it's also like you coming out of Egypt. Hmm. It's both your punishment and your salvation hmm. together. And so when he's going to pick up on some of that yeah. ironic reversal of is this judgment or is this salvation? And the answer is yes. Yeah, it's kind of both. Which is like a really interesting thing to meditate on, like. Um, how God saves us from our sin sometimes is by ripping our systems of sin out from us. Yeah. I I heard one theologian, I think his name is James Hamilton. He talks about like God's uh, salvation comes through judgment. Yeah. Yeah. James Hamilton, he wrote a whole book on it, right? Yeah. Yeah, God's salvation through judgment. Yeah. God's salvation through judgment. I think that's what it is. And so this is kind of a picture that you're going to be sent out in judgment for your lack of love and your Mm -hmm. lack of justice. But it's in that same place of judgment. I'm also going to bring you back yes. and make you right. And he um, picks up on that in, in the in the part right before, uh, in, in between the two texts that we've talked about. So these this is verses seven to nine. Uh, he com- he compares Israel to a um, disgraceful merchant that's like rigging the scales to try to like cheat the system. Mm-hmm. And um, they're like, and the way they do is really funny. They're like, uh, I'm rich. How could God not be for me? Like, right. like I'm rich. I found a lot of wealth for myself. I can't be sinful. I can't if I'm be rich. sinful if things are going so well. Right. <laughs> like, you've never melt, met more of a health and wealth <laughs> person in your life. Uh, and then God says, uh, in order to heal them from that, He's going to. Um, he, he's, he reminds them that he's the God who took them from the land of Egypt and he's going to make them dwell in tents again and have the days of their appointed feasts again. Hmm. And so again, this is him right, saying, strip away your wealth. Yep. I'm going to reduce you back down to poverty. Right. So that we can feast together. Right. Again. So, cause when they dwelt in tents, that was out hmm. at Sinai in right. the wilderness. And he's hmm. like, well, let's get back to basics. Like, 
let's get you out of Egypt, right? Let's rip you out of that system where you learned about golden calves and, you know, right. and raisin cakes. Raisin, oh yeah, cakes. <laughs> cakes oh, you love raisins? the cakes of raisins. <laughs> and like, let's it's get the Hosea back to, one yeah, deep cut right there. Deep cut. <laughs> and like, let's get back to the basics. And so like, that is such an interesting like call to us. Um, and I think it's something that like, I think Jesus patterned in his own life. Well, he was a prophet, right? Brought out of Egypt yes. to save the people from their their mis the way that they um, mistrusted wealth. Yeah, like, totally. Jesus calls out the money changers in the temple. Mm-hmm. He calls out un like unjust weights and scales. Yep. Right? Yes, he does. And he and he talks about the like uh, the the uh, rich young ruler says like to sell all you have and follow me, trying to call him out of his corrupt system. He calls to the priest that they need to consider the weightier things of the law, like yes. love and justice. Instead rather of than... tithing a tenth of their dill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like Jesus is a, a prophet yes. in the vein of Hosea, and he's giving the same. Mm-hmm. Does he give the same announcement of mercy and judgment? Like you will inevitably be destroyed, I mean, Israel? Yes, he, I mean, he does. Yeah, he does. He absolutely does. I, I mean, think about whenever uh, Simon from Cyrene takes the cross of Jesus in Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, right after he takes the cross, Jesus looks at the daughters of Jerusalem who are wailing for him, and he says, don't wail for me, wail for yourself. And he quotes Hosea and talks about how you're going to want the mountains to fall on you mm-hmm. because my judgment's coming. But ironically, he's then going to go take the judgment for them. Right. But yes, he he announces ultimate yeah. doom. I mean, he talks about like, uh, you know, Tyre and Sidon or whatever. Like, I, you know. Yes, if the, if the miracles I had done here were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Right. But instead, now, you know, these Jewish cities are going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm. So, yeah, he does. But what else he does that's lined up w- with this is that Jesus calls people out of their systems and into the wilderness. Like, this is where we meet Jesus for the first time in his ministry is in the wilderness with John the Baptist. Right. Like, And people come out of Jerusalem, out of the mm-hmm. system to meet him. We often see him out in Galilee instead of inside Jerusalem. And so he's calling people out to himself. Yeah, it makes me like rethink a lot of the monastic communities throughout history. I always yes. thought they're like, well, that's just a wrong way to engage culture. Like get making oh, right. making a city out in the middle of the desert. That feels like the wrong way to be an evangelist. But like, there's like this really deep history. Like that's no, that's where the Lord meets His people. Right, is in the wilderness. Yeah, in poverty, in away from everything they've grown comfortable. That's where God comes. Yes, and then that's something Jesus Himself does. Right, like at the height. Of the time whenever uh, the the people in Jesus's day wanted to make him like a king they could idol uh, uh, like make into an idol yeah. they wanted to take him and make him king by force after they saw that he was a miracle worker mm-hmm. and they're like we're gonna go use his superpowers to take over Rome yeah. what does Jesus do he withdraws by himself to go be mm-hmm. with God he gets back to the basics he goes and dwells in a tent again you know like yeah and I think like that's the pattern like so if you if, if you're feeling like I'm like Political idolatry, like we talked about a few episodes ago or yeah. last episode, uh, like it, it's just so the water in which I swim. Like I don't know where I start and it ends. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm just so enmeshed in it. Uh, maybe the right solution for you is to follow in Jesus's footsteps and like go be alone with God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, I also keep thinking about um, Jesus as this prophet who is also taken outside the city. Yes. Who not just pronounces judgment, but is judged himself mm-hmm. so that his people, so that in that place of judgment, salvation could be granted for anyone who repents and returns to him. That's what 
how Luke sets up his gospel. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes. So you have Jesus who not only is a prophet in the vein of Hosea, hmm. but he is also Israel. Yes. Like he reenacts the story of Israel mm-hmm. within Israel. Right. So Israel had to go out mm-hmm. to be judged before they could be brought back in. But there was this internal problem within Israel, right? Like right. they were still corrupt on the inside. So like he geographically <laughs> maps on in his own life what's happening internally by going outside Jerusalem, being judged for the sins of Israel so that he might bring salvation to all of his, all mm-hmm. of Israel once again from yeah. within. Like, is that, yeah. No, I, it does. That, no, it does. Right there, that right? Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I just, verse 14 of chapter 12 was just staring me in the face and I was like, um, we've been talking more and more about the way we see the apostles use the Bible. Mm-hmm. We're like, I think I have the biblical warrant to do this. Continue. <laughs> but it says like Ephraim has has given bitter provocation. So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. I think now in Christ, we can look to Jesus as the new Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Hanging on the cross in our place and say, his Lord will leave our blood guilt on him and will repay him for our mm. disgraceful deeds. It's just like a... Even though we have provoked the Lord. Yes. God leaves our blood guilt on Jesus mm-hmm. and he is repaid for our disgraceful deeds. And then I guess the other side of that is we are repaid for his... Yeah, good deeds. His good deeds. Yeah. We're treated as if we are righteous. Yes. Yeah, we're made a good wife of the fa- of like our husband. He makes yeah. us in the spotless bride, right. Ephesians 5. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. Uh, that's uh, a hold on. Take a deep breath, everybody. Hold on to all those good feelings. Yeah. Because we're jumping into chapter 13. <laughs> Okay, so chapter 13 is probably the darkest that Hosea gets. Yes. So chapter 14 is mostly all promise. Mm-hmm. It's all promise and redemption. So chapter 3... So we're going to just skip to 14. Skip right <laughs> to 14. Uh, chapter 13 is kind of the darkest this passage gets. It outlines what Israel has done wrong most like like um, intensely and yes. also describes God's consequences most like violently too. Yeah. So this is what Isra- Israel has done wrong. Um when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel. What? When it says Ephraim mm-hmm. and Israel like that, what's the reference? Because I've, I've been reading Ephraim as Israel. It is. It's just Hebrew parallelism. So when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel. Do you just mean the leader of Israel or Israel? Was Israel ex- was exalted inside of geographic Israel. Got it. The, the people, people Israel, were exalted inside <laughs> their country. Uh, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. So Israel has died by their idol worship right. Spirit, to Baal. Spiritually and physically. They've died. They've died. And now they sin more and more because they make for themselves metal images. <laughs> they are literally dead in sin, as <laughs> Ephesians 2 would say. They, uh, they make idols skillfully out of silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. And it is said of them, this is, this is the quote the nations make about Israel. If Israel had a one-liner that was made them known to the whole world, this would be it. Oh, those are the people who offer human sacrifices and kiss calves. Ouch. So, so <laughs> just the, the oh, actually, the, it's in the ESV that I'm reading from right now. It says, those who offer human sacrifices kiss calves. Right. So the They're idea, linked. 
they're linked together. So remember the golden calf mm-hmm. that Israel set up was one of the first sins that they committed when Israel became a divided kingdom between the north and the south. The north kingdom who Hosea is mainly writing to made two golden calves, right. doubling the sin of the past. Sinning more and more. Sinning more and more. And now they're offering their children as sacrifices and they're, I presume, literally kissing these calves right. which at was, some point which, in the ceremony. And child sacrifice was like one of the main reasons Israel was brought into Canaan in the first place to put an end to this heinous sin. And now Israel themselves mm-hmm. are killing their children, which is, the, I mean... One of the worst sins you could ever possibly imagine, one of the darkest human evils that has ever been invented. Um, and and so, like, I, I don't want to belittle that when I do something theological here. Yeah. But it's like, it's made even worse by the fact that the children of Israel were God's salvation plan for the world. Right. So it's not only they're doing this absolutely horrific thing where they're actually killing their own children for an idol. Right. But they are putting the future of God's salvific plans for Mm -hmm. all creation to an end they're saying like we don't care about our main goal as god's chosen people would be fruitful and multiply and to cover the earth and instead we're killing our children i i also yeah it's not good news no (laughs) and i was just kept thinking about that phrase kiss calves yeah so it's like i I think you've been to like a lot of places if you go down to a shrine you'll see people just touch things Mm -hmm. like pass by a holy or sacred image and just worn out yeah it's like yeah like rubbed off so like presumably this was actually part of the practice and actually showing gratitude to these idols yeah and loyalty and loyalty to these idols after having burned their children Mm -hmm. so they're thankful grateful to these idols expressing intimacy with these idols right. after they've murdered their children. Right. And why why are they so grateful? It's because they think these idols are giving them more money. And they're willing to kill their children. More security, more safety. For more money. Yeah. It's... What? It's gr- We haven't talked about um, abortion mm. in this context. Right. And it's, it's difficult because there's a lot of complexities in that. A lot of complexity conversation and like nobody wants to get an abortion Mm -hmm. but like infanticide is not far removed from the world we live in today no and regardless of the justifications that we give for it there is a sense in which like we still offer our children for our own comfort for comfort safety security financial provision right and that's not to say that that's an irredeemable sin no that god isn't willing to rescue people yeah. who... if you have had an abortion and you're listening to this wait till chapter 14 chapter there's 14 good news for you it's all about <laughs> offering mercy and yes. grace to those who have killed their children but yes we are not far removed from this world to offer our children in order to make our lives marginally better and then to offer gratitude to those who allow us to do so right something about like the politicians or mm, Planned Parenthood Planned Parenthood who make it more feasible for us. Right. And we celebrate that fact. Right. Like, I don't think we're so far removed from that world. I mean, uh, we celebrate the ability to choose even. We've made choice over even life and death something to be celebrated and owned and like that empowers us, like the pro-choice movement. Like, yeah. It, it's, 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 Thorny. It's <laughs> like, thorny. And again, yeah. like I don't want to like make simplistic parallels. No, obviously not. However, like human sacrifice is still a part of our culture today mm. in a really powerful way. And like we would do 
honor to the book of Hosea by meditating on that somewhat. Yeah. And God responds to Israel's version of child sacrifice by saying, therefore, Israel will be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes away early, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. Or in other words, because they're so devoted to giving up their own offspring, they'll vanish. Mm -hmm. Their worthless worship will cause them to vanish. They'll be evaporated from the land. Right. And God then reminds them right after that, that they don't, they didn't need these Baals, these false gods, these idols that demand their children in the first place. He was the only God who saved them from Egypt. He brings back the Egypt in the Exodus story again. And he's like, you knew no God, but me, <laughs> like I was and should be your only God. Mm-hmm. And besides me, you needed no savior. I was your only savior. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, but because you've rejected yeah. this, I'm now to you like a lion mm. in a bear. <laughs> like he's like, he compares himself to an animal ripping apart its prey. Yeah. And then in the last chapter, uh, in the last verses, he says this in 16, he says, because you've rebelled against God, you will fall by the sword. The little one, your little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. So one, think about the way in which that fits with their all their commitment to child sacrifice already. What they're already doing. But also think about it historically. The Assyrians literally did this. Right. They literally took Israelite children and hit their heads and killed them against the rocks. Psalm 137 references this. Right. As this well. was like a horrible war practice of right. the these these like armies of Assyria. Yeah, so like so he's describing historically what Assyria will do to them. Mm-hmm. But he's also describing the judgment God has against um, Israel's sin of child, like right. of refusing to commit to love and justice. Right. He, he's saying it's proportionate. Yeah. Right. It's eye for eye, tooth mm-hmm. for tooth, that you've been doing this to your own children. So now I will allow it to be perpetrated against you mm-hmm. and you'll kind of get a taste of your own medicine. That's right. Yeah. And then we have a really interesting, so that's, that's, that's chapter 13. Yes. That's as dark as chapter 13 gets. Very dark. Um, and there's actually a really famous passage here too. There is. Which says this, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Now that sounds, it sounds, it sounds good. Really positive. There's a lot of translation issues with yes. that because the whole thing is judgment. It's really weird for there just to be a straight interruption of a projection of mercy. It could be rhetorical questions. Shall I redeem you from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem you from death? Right. Or it could be like God's compassionate intent. He wanted to redeem them from Sheol. God wanted to redeem them from death, but that's not what's happening anymore. Right. Oh, death, where are your plagues? You talked about Egypt. This is Egypt coming back. Mm-hmm. Bring on your plagues, oh, death. Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Bring on yes. the underworld. Yeah, he's calling out to death and the grave and plagues. Like, Sheol, where are you? Mm-hmm. Plagues, let's go. Let me call them up. And even the word here for death is probably a reference to mot. Mm, the, one of the gods. The, one of the Assyrian gods of death. And he's like, you want to worship the god of death? Fine. He's coming. He's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And another way to read the ransom and redeem passages is that um, it's kind of a reference back to how they wanted the mountains to fall on them instead of having Assyria get hold of them. They would prefer just immediate death to what Assyria is going to put them through. Mm-hmm. And so God says, no, 
I'm actually going to ransom you from the power of the, the grave. I'm not going to let you die. Hmm. And instead, I'm going to make you go through this worse fate. Well, that's even worse. It's, it's very grim. We're used to reading this, pos- this passage positively because right. of Paul yeah. and how he uses it. And we'll get there, we'll there get in a there. second. Yeah. But for now, we just need to sit with the fact that this is the starkest that Hosea is getting. Right. We've had one version of Israel's apostasy shown as like a prostitute bride whoring herself out to other men. Um, and then yet God remaining faithful to her and calling her back. Yeah. But now we have, it's it's just it's just more vicious. Right. It's I mean, more brutal. And like the punctuation at the end of verse 14 seals it. Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Like God just takes compassion away from his, from his eyes and just only looks at Israel with wrath. How is God justified talking about like this? to anybody Mm -hmm. regardless of how they've behaved not even counting the fact that we have jesus as an example who dies for his enemies like like let's not put jesus off the table let's just put him off the table for a second like how is god justified in talking about anybody he claims to love this way Mm. yes uh well i mean one he's divorced them anyway you know, like in, but, the, in the book of Hosea, like that's the metaphor. You, yeah. You're divorced from me. You're going right. to Assyria. Uh, but uh, I think what justifies God to remove compassion from his eyes and to pursue the people who used to be his people uh, like a bear and to rip them open and do these things like, does this make God like a monster? Like, is that I mean, kind of what you're asking? Yeah. I mean, he compares himself to a bear right. and a lion yes. and he's calling upon the powers of death to overtake his people. He, he sounds monstrous. Right. So the first thing I would say is th- that question what just would not ring in the ears of the audience that read this book originally. We're, we're asking a very modern question. Right. Because it, yeah. we are, we have a, we have an enlightened moral uh, grid by which we judge the world, you know, call it human secularism, call it, uh, or even just like the way in which Christianity has permeated the world, like Christian values, like uh, the the values of Jesus and love and compassion have so changed the world that this Hosea's world just doesn't exist anymore because of Jesus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, and so, but, um, what gives God the right to pursue people like a bear? And the answer is that God is the ultimate system of morality of of right and wrong, and so like we we just we 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 have a hard time of like understanding what could someone possibly do to incur this kind of punishment from a God who's supposed to be loving, mm-hmm. because it doesn't fit in our moral grid. Yeah, but we need God's moral grid, and God's moral grid is that sin is way worse than we think it is, especially horrible sins like yeah. killing your children, and that his justice that he presides over the world as king of the universe has far more reign and reach than we want to think it does. Mm-hmm. And that that we are not ultimately morally culpable to one another as a society-driven culture like we think we are. Meaning like my sin isn't primarily against a person a person or That's the right. child that I killed or uh-huh. my mother that and I And neither does it end with the action itself, the consequences of that action, or my life here on earth. There are eternal reverberations of our sin because we are eternal beings created by eternal God who gave eternal moral standards for his world. 
and we infringe upon those and the consequences are far more dire than we think they are because we have bowed the knee to right. a different king who's told us that we're not as bad as we think we are. Mm-hmm. And so what gives God the right? It's because he's operating in the only correct moral universe that there is. We've just been duped into thinking that we're actually like good yeah, and that we don't deserve punishment. I mean, the other, I mean, the, the pejorative way to say that is like, well, God said it's wrong, so it's wrong. And God said this is okay, so it's okay. Right. Which is, I mean, it's what you're saying in, in, a, in a way. Yeah. And I, I think I want to like apo- almost apologize for that mm. in some way, right? It's like, well, God said it's wrong, so get over it. And this is a just punishment because God's just. Get over it. Um, I know that's not the heart in what you're saying. It right. In, but it's like, how willing should we be to accept that view of God? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, that feels like such a hard line in the sand. It's like, well, God is the ultimate decider between right and wrong. And if he just says something, we need to trust it's an accurate representation of what he's like, mm. right? Like, it's just a big... So uh, is is killing your children wrong? I would say so, yes. So God would agree with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, should those who kill their children be let off scot-free or should they be held responsible? They should be held responsible. You sound like you agree with God here. I don't know what you're trying to apologize for. <laughs> I think ripping people open, like the violent imagery that God em- that Hosea employs, mm-hmm. like it's like, man, I don't know anybody who talks that way anymore. Even people right. who are advocates for justice, like for I mean, if the, if Israel has violated God's commands for love and justice, and even life itself, murdering people. Um, still seems intense. Hmm. Like life in prison, maybe execution is as far as our society really gets, right? right. Yes. Um, yeah, the point of um, this eye for eye, tooth for tooth retribution is, is because God and, and uh, is looking corporately at, at Israel and at the world. Uh, we have a very individualized personal view of justice. And so, like, when I do wrong, it's only, like, my fault, and it ends with me. It's like, God is saying that if I allow this sin to continue, like, go back to Genesis, like, right before the flood, like, if I allow sin like this inside my chosen people, the only hope for the world uh, to continue, then the the whole earth will just go to ruin, like sin will win. There's this power called sin that was ruling the world and crouching around like a lion. Death and Sheol. There's these <laughs> Death and Sheol are winning. And he's like, he he has to come and do something drastic to fight that battle back and to redeem his people, to change the, the course of history or else we would not have the world as we know it today. Like, so yes, the 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 actions are dire, but the stakes are really high. Um, yeah. yeah. And beyond all of that, beyond all of that, uh, what we're, what we're butting up against is actually a basic Christian belief that all people will stand before God and be liable for judgment. And those who have not trusted Christ will have worse things happen to them than being ripped open. Like, yeah, whatever, whatever hell, is. whatever hell is. It's worse than what we could experience in the world. Than miscarriage. And both you and I have experienced that. Mm -hmm. And it's horrible. 
but like yeah. hell is worse. And so like, I'm, I'm not asking anyone to believe something about God that they probably didn't learn in VBS. Like, right. it's just when we're confronted with the reality of it, it's scary. And I think like that is good for us to wrestle with that because the, even the New Testament says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Like yeah. God is not soft, fluffy, old man, white beard. He is all love and all justice. Like, yeah, he's bigger than we want to put him into a box. Like, and I also think, I think all this is good. And again, it's like something we're going to have to wrestle with by virtue of our place and time in history. Yeah. Like people who have a God named death, mm -hmm. whose job is to rule the underworld and execute his whims on the world, the God moat in Assyria. Right. Like they just have a different frame of reference than we do. Totally. Um, I think, and I think that's helpful to like, to name, uh, it's like we're just separated from that world by a good margin. Yeah. But I think the other thing that's interesting in all this is that the the means by which God exercises this judgment is not is by an army. Mm -hmm. Israel was making political alliances. Right. It was backstabbing its own leaders. It was paying tributes to these other nations. They were involving themselves in the politics of the world to such a degree that. They got involved in the politics of the world. Mm. And Assyria comes in and is Assyria to them. Yep. God isn't inciting Syria to be different to Israel than anybody else. Right. They're being themselves. They're being themselves. Yeah. He removed his protection. And God and Israel got to be involved with Assyria to the degree that they wanted to. Right. Like, like it's like And it, yeah, their sin came back around on their own head. So I think that's the other side of it. Cause yep. I think sometimes I think that's helpful to me sometimes, not all the time. Right. Because at the end of the day, did God send Assyria or did he not? Yes. Yeah. So like Assyria is still responsible right. for the yes. ways in which they Absolutely. slaughtered Israel, even in their sin. Like Israel, Assyria was murderous and barbaric and it's, it's good and right to say that. Right. Yeah. And the same thing happens with God's chosen servant in Isaiah like Cyrus, he he raises him up, calls him his Messiah, his anointed one, mm -hmm. sends him into Israel to to like do the same things here, but now in the southern kingdom, they yeah. just, like he destroys, and then Cyrus gets all puffed up from it. And he's like, "Oh, I am the man," and God's like, "Oh, I will punish you for your sins in war and for your pride." Like, right? Like, yes, I'm just saying all that. To say like, Assyria is morally culpable for ripping open pregnant women yeah and this was yeah that's right so this we, is we've gone way into the weeds yes a difficult passage yeah. that we're obviously still wrestling through however the the way that we see jesus really clearly there's really good news here i shall ransom them from the power of sheol i shall redeem them from death oh death where are your plagues oh sheol where is your sting compassion is not hidden from the eyes of Jesus. Mm. In Christ, Paul says, that the closest that anybody ever gets to this is... Reading it. Reading it. <laughs> like, we... It's easy to, like... God has died for yeah. us. Right. And when we repent and turn to him, death and Sheol have no power over us. Right. They cannot come against us. Like... There will be no more plagues. Death will no longer be a, have a fearful sting because compassion has been shown to be God's ultimate character quality, not his anger at our sin. Right. 
Yeah, um, I mean, we see, yeah, so clearly. So so Paul, right, quotes this verse in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses uh, 40, 54 and 55. And uh, he, he talks about how death has been swallowed up in victory. Mm-hmm. Like moat, right, has yeah. been defeated. Uh, and he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And he reappropriates this language where instead of God calling upon death and plagues to come and ransack his people, saying like, hey, death, rise up. Show me how strong your sting is. Like, oh, grave, rise up. Show me how powerful your victory is. You know, like God's calling on them to come and do their worst. Instead, after Jesus takes their sting and takes grave's victory on the cross and rises from the dead, now we we say, say the same words, but we're speaking to an empty room. We're like mm-hmm. death. <laughs> yeah. Where are you? Yeah. Grave. Where's your sting? Like it doesn't exist for the Christian. Mm-hmm. Like because it's been fully exerted on Jesus for our behalf. Like on our right. behalf. And that's the other thing to say about this. Yeah. This is terrible. Like the, the 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 plagues, the sting of death, the bear-like nature of God's anger at Israel's sin is terrible. But God did not exempt Himself from it. That's right. He came in the form of Jesus and experienced the bear-like claws of death. Of his own death, of like his own punishment of death. Right. Yeah. And even like, and like, I want to be careful how I word this, but like Jesus was also described as God's son. Yes. God lost a son on the cross as well. The judgments that he gave to Israel, he did not excuse himself from he fully took on the terror of what he was prescribing elsewhere yes and if and that i think fundamentally changes the way that i read texts like this it's like okay this is a terrible terrible thing and if i knew a person who's only ever threatening and only ever just Mm. just maliciously like was just killing people right and reserving power, prestige, for themselves. authority for themselves, and not being concerned with the people—that's a different character than the God I see in the yes. in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Yes. In the Old Testament, this is going to be followed up with pronouncements of mercy and hope. Mm-hmm. But we also see a God who's not only willing to pronounce justice, but also come under that justice Himself. Like mm-hmm. this is not God is not being malicious here. And he's not speaking on both sides of his, both sides of his mouth. No, either, like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how. I don't know. No, to say yeah, that. no, you've landed the plane. I mean, it's like, it's like this this amalgamation of a person that we've come up with, right. who's like always punishing other people and reserving power for himself. It's like that's very different from a leader who um, says like, "Hey, I, I've taken the blow already." Like, uh, you know, there was a million dollar debt. And I paid it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just come to me and pick up your I got out of debt free card, then great. But if you refuse, I'm going to go ahead and charge you that million dollar debt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's not him being malicious. That's right. him saying like you had a debt. I paid it. Come and receive right. that forgiveness for free or pay it yourself. Yeah. And so it's like it's a he's a kind and merciful judge. Like mm-hmm. it's a very different picture of a, of a, of a, of a, of God that I yeah. think people want to paint out of passages like this. Yeah. 
Um, especially so, when we see Jesus. <laughs> yeah, especially when we see, which is, I think, where we should end this. Like, so the, the yeah. darkest part of Hosea is also matched by the darkest night of Jesus' life. Yes. His death on the cross. And ultimately, that dark night doesn't prove God's viciousness, but Jesus's commitment to providing justice mm-hmm. for those. Because think about the, the innocent victims in Israel, the children. Yes. Jesus is bringing justice for innocent children, mm-hmm. and he will experience it himself to offer hope to all people. All right, Seth, we made it. We made we it. Got it. We got to chapter 14. <laughs> the good news. Everyone, I told you to hold your breath. Now you can now let it go. We've had good news throughout. <laughs> we have. No, I don't. However, this is just an easier passage <laughs> to talk about. Chapter 14. Yeah. Return, O Israel, to yes. the Lord your God. You have stumbled, but take with you words and return to the Lord. And say to him, take away my iniquity. Mm. So like at the very last chapter, it's Hosea's prayer of repentance yes that israel is supposed to pray with him yep yeah they just they, they say god take our iniquity uh and here's their ultimate confession and it gets to the what we've kind of identified as the heart of the sin of hosea not of the prophet hosea but in the but, book of hosea yeah uh is is in verse three they finally say i mean those who would say this with hosea not yeah. everybody those who the, the faithful say assyria shall not save us we will not ride on horses and we will say no more our god to the work of our hands uh in you the orphan finds mercy so like they they, they name what their sin is that they've trusted in false like mm-hmm. in other kings like mm-hmm. assyria and they have adopted their gods of idols like as their own and they said this is our god like the mm-hmm. sin of exodus right and so um they're yeah this is their repentance yeah if you compare this to chapter six there's a false prayer of repentance yes. i don't know if you remember that yes. but he says israel is praying this prayer but it never names their sin it says come let us to return to the lord because he has torn us so that he may heal us he has struck us down so he'll bind us up and there's all these like really general generic platitudinous stereotypical prayers of the lord but they never actually name what they did wrong mm. they never um acknowledge their sin right. they never renounce their idolatry they never uh reject their trust in politics mm-hmm. they just say we trust in god without doing any of the hard work necessary to to prove that true yeah and so this prayer is the the prayer of the righteous people yes who's giving up their idols who's naming the things that they make with their hands or just can't yeah. be gods and then that's what they do that's all they do i just want to like that's all they do that's all they do like they say sorry and then they decide to serve god only like they don't have to like take a trip to a holy site or say right. a billion prayers or like you know i'm just like it's 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 like we've talked about we've this, talked about this. Yeah. it's like all it is is faith yes but all it is is faith, faith. is costly like the rich young ruler yes so i'm just saying trust but, in jesus yeah. required the sacrifice of everything he had but it's like after after ver- after chapter 13 you would just expect like if you want my forgiveness if you want the bear to put its mm. claws away you better do yeah. something crazy you know, well, like you think about, I mean, think about, let, let's yeah. use, let's use Jose's metaphor. Like think about a, a, a husband who's cheated on his wife this mm-hmm. time instead of a wife cheating on her husband. Husband cheats on his wife and he comes back. He's like, can you ever trust me again? She's like, I don't know. You're gonna have to do 
some amazing things to make me trust yeah. you again. You Long, know, Long, slow obedience, over faithfulness over time. Right, before. and maybe I will forgive you. Yeah. And it's like, they just, they make their vow, they repent, they name their sin, and then God responds, I will heal your apostasy. Mm-hmm. And I will love you freely. Like, and my anger will turn from you. Think about, it's it's a beautiful promise. It's beautiful. But think about how hard it is too. Mm. They have to obey that in exile. Right. They have to obey that with God having turned his back for a season. Yeah. God will be with them in exile. He has not abandoned them fully, but they're going to live on, under the oppressive foreign rule of Assyria. Mm-hmm. They're going to look around them and it's going to look like God's not there. Right. It's going to look like punishment. And they're supposed to trust God there mm-hmm. in Assyria, in exile. Right. And that's... That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. But what's funny is that's where Israel experienced their spiritual revival. Yes. Was in exile. Ta- I mean, read the like later Psalms, you know, read Ezra Nehemiah. Well, right? God saved Israel when they were homeless. Right. They were trapped in Egypt. Egypt. They went into a desert to a random mountain and then God made them his people in the middle of the wilderness. Right. Like Yeah, this is that's yeah, it's it's out in the Selby. sticks where things are usually made right with God. Like trust in God, faith in God, relying on God is not is proven in the wilderness. It's proven when there's nothing left. I mean, Israel Israel says it in their false plea of repentance. God has torn us so that he will restore us. Yes. And it's a theme throughout Hosea mm-hmm. that the reason God is stripping everything away is so that the their faith could be proven to be pure. Yes. Like Faith in God isn't just, I'm going to trust God mm. and we'll be fine. And right. gonna, nothing's going to change. Right. It's it's faith tested by fire. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so God not only says, I'm going to heal you of your apostasy, which is in that inward healing you were talking about mm-hmm. that they needed. Like, mm-hmm. not that I'm going to forgive you from being apostate, right? I'm going to heal you mm. of being inclined toward apostasy. I'm going to like change your heart. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to heal your inclination to move away from me, <laughs> like, which is what we need. Like, I will love them freely. Because that's, I mean, but like, that's the, that's the reason Hosea has been picking back up on the Exodus story was to show that they keep repeating the same cycle of apostasy. Mm-hmm. And God's saying, I'm going to heal you of that. Like, yeah. I love that. And then, yeah, I'll love you freely. And then he reverses all the metaphors that he used yes. about his judgment. Beforehand, his judgment was like dew on them. Now he he will be like dew to Israel. Oh, like Israel. Israel was Israel was the dew vanishing. Right. But now God is the dew, refreshing, watering them. And now the vanishing dew, instead of it, instead of Israel being vanishing dew, now they're the lilies and the flowers that grow because God is watering them with His presence. His, Israel's beauty will be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. I guess Lebanon smelled great. That's the cedars them, of Lebanon. All them trees. All the cedars smell like <laughs> yeah, cedars. They smell great. Put some salmon on those yeah. cedars. <laughs> Cedar plank salmon. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> they shall return beneath my shadow and they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall like be like the wine of Lebanon. The yeah. Chateau Valley of in France. <laughs> the Coderon <laughs> of Eden. Uh, I mean, this is Eden. It is Eden. This is this is the Garden of Eden coming back. And like God is saying, not only will I bring you back to Israel, like back to your land, uh, I'm going to give you more than Baal ever could. You mm-hmm. know, like, I'm going to give you everything 
you want. Yeah. You you want it and looked for it in other gods. Right. I'm, I'm going to actually give that to you, but not because you worked for it or anything. I'm going to love you freely just because you've repented. And you've mm-hmm. come to me. You've put your trust in me. Um, yeah. That's um, beautiful. The final, the final verse of Hosea, mm-hmm. there's two final verses, chapter eight, verse eight and verse nine, chapter 14. Verse eight, I think is the end of Hosea's speeches. And verse nine is like this prophetic editorial. Oh yeah, like I see Proverbial that. editorial yeah, yeah, yeah. at the very end of it. Uh, but the, the, I think the last word of Hosea's speech is this. Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? This is God speaking. Mm-hmm. It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. And from me comes your fruit. Hmm. So a couple things. One, Ephraim means fruitful. Right. And so Ephraim, symbol for Israel, was constantly forgetting that their fruit came from the Lord. Right. They were looking for it in idols. They were putting idols in their field to try to get become more fruitful. And they didn't realize that they were made fruitful when God named them Ephraim. Yes. I mean, it's kind of like the... Uh, uh, the whole like uh, Garden of Eden sin, where it was like, if we eat this fruit, we'll be like God. Right. It's like, like you were already made in God's image. <laughs> right, what, what more do you want? Uh, and <laughs> I think another way to say it is like um, the central question of the book of Hosea has been, where does Israel's livelihood come from? Right. Where does their fruitfulness come from? Idols, kings, political alliances. God, God, <laughs> and consistently throughout the book, the fruitful Ephraim, the Ephraim whose name means fruit, mm-hmm. has trusted fruitfulness to come from anywhere else except God alone. Mm. Um, and when they forgot that their fruit came from God, they became like what? Chapter nine and chapter ten, yeah. like uh, withered grapes, withered grapes on the vine, yeah. trees that had shriveled up. In, yeah, like a like a desert oasis that you come upon and realize that it's a wasteland. Like chaff in the field. Yeah, like, like dew that dries up. And I think we have another way to say that in John 15. Jesus says the exact same thing to his disciples mm. right before he dies. He says, I am the true vine. Mm-hmm. You are the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. You'll be Ephraim. <laughs> You'll be. You will finally be true Israel. Yes. After I read John fifteen, after reading this, I was like, I can't see anything but Hosea and Jesus' right. speech. That's crazy. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm. If you do not remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown away. Such branches are picked up thrown in the fire and burned. Sounds like Hosea. Sounds like Hosea. If you, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Oh, word, which he said, ask take, what, word, take with you words is up here. Ask whatever you want mm. and it'll be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. Wow. And then I was like, man, that is such a powerful, like when Israel forgets to be in the vine, yeah. they wither and die. And so I was like, okay then. What does it mean then? Uh, we've been wrestling with this. Like, okay, you got the political alliances, yeah. you've got all the enmeshment, you've got idol worship. Like, what does that mean on the ground for us? Jesus reframes it. Mm. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Or as Jose would free, I have loved freely. you freely. Now, remain in my love. Mm. What's th- How do we not experience what Hosea experienced? How do we not um, fall prey to being fruitless? 
we we don't do what Gomer did. We we remain we remain in our husband's in love. In our husband's <laughs> love. And then he even goes one step further, even more practical. If you keep my commands, mm. you will remain in my love. Right. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. There I mean that's so like I was like, man, okay, love. Mm-hmm. Practical. Remain in God's husbandly love. Yeah. Even more practical, remain faithful to the God in what he's commanded what he's commanded even like my marriage has rules seth can't sleep with other women right I, Seth, occasionally you have to do the dishes the right way right yeah <laughs> you can't keep putting the bowls on the top rack seth they go on the bottom rack this is uh, this shows how much i hang out of your house <laughs> if i keep by keeping god's commands i prove my love to right to in the him. same way that keep you know doing things that the the the, the spoken and unspoken commands yes. of marriage Shows that you remain in that marriage. And then really more, even more simply, my command is this. Love each other mm. as I have loved you. Greater love is no man than this. The one would lie down one's life for his friends. Right. Man, what, is, what does it mean to experience fruitfulness? Mm. What does it mean to avoid the terrors described in Hosea? Or even the, the pruning image of being thrown into the fire that right. Jesus mentions. It means abiding in the love of Jesus' death on the cross for us. Mm. And then loving others the same way. Right. Which is the same call that Hosea gave to the people of Israel. It is the same law. He said, remember that God brought you out of slavery in Egypt. <laughs> That's, Rem- remember you were saved. <laughs> yeah, remember I was the one who saved you. I loved you and I carried yeah. you out with compassionate arms. Remain in that love and you will be mine even in exile. And Jesus is saying the same thing. I w- I'm going to the cross for you, right? I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna switch the oh death, where is your sting? To oh death, where is your sting? You know, and like just remain in that compassionate love and salvation that I've given to you. What does it, what does it mean to remain in Jesus's to love? Abide in Jesus's love. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you've said to obey him, to obey him, to right. love others, to love and others. to love God. Right, right, like that's. We can overcomplicate it. We can over, yeah. yeah, It's like, what does it mean to remain? It means to love God and to love others. Yeah. Based on the fact that God, I mean, he even said, you didn't choose me. Mm. I chose you and appointed you. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father's going to give to you. This is my command. Love one another. It's really simple. Like, and what's at the, behind all the crazy imagery of the book of Hosea, Mm. what's the book of Hosea about? A marriage. God's love. Yeah. God's love for people who have previously been unfaithful and him wooing them yes. back to faithfulness. Yeah. How do we like what's the what's our response to the like calls to repentance in the book of Hosea as Christians? What's our yeah. response? Pursue intimacy with your husband Jesus. Yeah. Like and when you are with him and you remain in his love, it'll start changing your life and you won't be like the corrupt money changer. You know, you'll yeah. you'll start doing justice and holding fast to love and kindness, mm-hmm. you know, like like he told Jacob to do. Yeah, you know, and like it'll it, you'll you'll be changed. Like that's amazing. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. This is my out of left field question oh, that boy. I have not prepared you for. Okay, intimacy with intimacy with Jesus uh-huh. is such a weird cliche Christian thing. Oh yes, I think we put a little bit of flesh on it by saying it's like it's obeying God's commands mm-hmm. and loving others and loving God. But one of the things really striking about Hosea is how deep, like how Hosea is not ashamed to use sexual imagery to define his relationship with Israel. 
And he even like just the phrase, I will love you freely or Jesus, my love will remain in you. What are like the limits to intimacy with God? Like, Mm -hmm. how do we, like, how close is too close? Especially when God is also burning down things and condemning things. Like, how can I draw, like, is there a, how do I do that? Like, what's the extent to like my capacity to be intimate with the Lord? Mm. Or what's the, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think I understand your question. Um, I mean, I could, I kind of could go up to the limit and then back it down. Okay. So I think our capacity is our, and this is going to sound very like new agey or something, I don't know, but like our corrupted current human state. Like we, there's a limit to what our physical body can experience of the nearness of God, right? Because even Moses on Mount Sinai, he wanted to see more of God. He wanted to increase his intimacy with the Father. So he said, show me your glory. And he says, okay, but if you see my face, you'll die. And that gets repeated all throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. And face wasn't like God's eyes, nose, and ears. It's the fullness of his presence. Mm-hmm. So like we can't see that right now or we would be destroyed. But... First John 3, 2 tells us that when we're risen, you know, right. which is like the, the same context that 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your sting, is talking mm-hmm. about. Whenever the, the perishable clothes itself with the imperishable and the mm-hmm. mortal with immortality, when that moment comes, when the resurrected Jesus returns to us, as mm-hmm. Revelation says, like a husband coming yeah. for his bride, and this marriage that Jose has been talking about is finally consummated, 1 John 3, 2 says that when we look at him face to face and we see him as he is, we will not be destroyed because of who God is. Mm-hmm. We will become like him. Mm-hmm. We'll be made one with him. Mm-hmm. Like husband and wife will be intimate with each other. Now, I'm not saying there's going to be some kind of big spiritual sex scene, right? Yeah. I'm saying that what, that sex is a picture of something bigger. <laughs> like, yeah. If you're thinking sexually about the union between man and God, you're thinking too carnally. You're thinking too yeah. small. Yeah. There is sex is a small picture of what ultimate joining, ultimate union, ultimate intimacy mm-hmm. with God will be like, mm-hmm. and that will happen when He returns. So, like, I think that's mm-hmm. the limit right now. Is yeah. we we can't quite get to what our hearts ache for when it comes to intimacy mm-hmm. with God here and now. Like Paul describes it in Romans eight as like groaning with the pains of child's childbirth, waiting for mm-hmm. the sons of God to be revealed. Oh my gosh, that. Hosea uses that same imagery. Oh, I for, totally forgot about that. He t- he talks about re- refusing to repent, uh-huh. being like being in the pains of childbirth, but Crazy. never seeing a child be oh born. Gosh. But yeah. to be born is to repent and to experience life, mm. to actually to be alive. It's like John three. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway <laughs> side note. Uh, yeah. So, but backing up from that point, um, I think intimacy with God. Don't we also see Jesus? God's face in Jesus? Yes, absolutely. So it's like there's a sense that there's a deep, final, eschatological consummation coming. But But don't we see God's face more clearly than Moses did? Oh, definitely. And Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians 3. He, He says that like what Moses asked for on Mount Sinai, we can get whenever we come to the scriptures actually. We come to the scriptures and we see Jesus and the good news of what he's done. We see him, we behold his face, and then we become like him from one degree of glory to the next. So we get to get a down payment of 1 John 3, 2 and Jesus' return here and now 
Like while we right. open the Bible, see the gospel, behold how good and loving Jesus is, like yeah. and <laughs> and have our lives changed. It, you say like I don't want to sound too new agey, but it's like what what you just said is like how do we like how how do we be intimate with the Lord? It's like, well, read your Bible, and obey, <laughs> obey His commands. It's like it's not super <laughs> so, so super new agey at all, not actually. Super new agey. But what's I think is strange is the degree of like emotive love that that's supposed to generate in God's heart towards us mm. and in our heart towards God. Yes. Um, and I, I guess I don't know what that feels like. I feel like I have some like, oh, I love the Lord. Right. And it feels, I'll tell, oh, yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell my kids, God, I, I love Jesus more than I love you guys. <laughs> um, and I'm like, do I actually believe that? Like, right. Do I actually feel that? Right. Do we feel what, what, uh, this, what David uh, felt in Psalm 19 when he's looking at, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. <laughs> the law of the, the Bible. Law, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Like, he's freaking out. And he talks about how they're better than gold, like better than fine gold. They're, they taste better than honey. Like, yeah. David is freaking out over Leviticus 12 <laughs> like, yeah. because he's like, he's meeting God there. Yeah. Which is, I don't, yeah, man, it's crazy. Just, now I'm just thinking about like, so my question that started all this was like, how intimate can I be with the God? Mm. And I just realized I have another answer to the question. Well, how much more intimate could I want to be? Right. He is in me. Right. His word lives inside of me. The word that he, David just gushed over, is written on my heart yes. by virtue of the Holy Spirit. But I actually don't think I could be more intimate with the Lord if I tried to. Mm. Like there's no music I can pump through the speakers or service I go to to get closer to God mm. than I am right now by the fact that Christ has saved me and that I've repented and trusted in him, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess the way you would say that is you would just come to treasure that reality more. Mm. like. I can't make another commitment to my wife more deep right. than our marriage. We can't take a physical step farther than having sex with each other. Right. 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 But I can come to treasure those things more and treasure mm. the fact that she's my wife more. Right. And like the unconditionality of it. Yes. It's like, I can't really do anything to unmake you my wife right now. Right. Right. And so it's like, there's not a, a next level you need to get to with your intimacy with God. <laughs> right. Right. If that's what you're, if that's kind of what you're pointing at. But um, hopefully as you seek his face and pursue him in the way that Jose has been calling us to, you realize more and more and more how close you are to your husband already. Mm -hmm. like the price that he has already paid to ransom you. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that he's already moved into a house with you, you know, like right. you're already his bride. Um, and it's uncovering that and unpacking yeah. it and seeing it more and more clearly, mm -hmm. um, I think is maybe the, the, the process of intimacy. Yeah. And I think even back, back to the way we should end it. The, uh, the first metaphor was like Gomer, this prostitute bride mm -hmm. ends up going and sleeping with somebody else that now demands payment for Hosea to buy back his wife. Right. So it's clearly this kind of abusive figure yes. to Gomer. Assyria was the abusive figure to Israel. Mm -hmm. Israel had prostituted herself to Assyria. Yeah. Israel enslaved her, trapped her, and demanded payment back. The forces of darkness demanded payment. 
and then Jesus pays it hmm. for us. That's the lengths to which God goes to be intimate with us again. Yeah. And I don't I can't be more intimate than that. I already <laughs> have the intimacy that I want in the Lord. Right. And I think you're right. I need to continue to know that I already have it and seek to love him and obey his commands. Yeah. So let's take that and let's end with the final editorial addition uh, to Hosea 14, verse 9. So everything we've said up to this point, <laughs> whoever's wise, let him understand these things. Good luck. <laughs> you know, like If you're wise, like let, 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 let them understand these things. Whoever's discerning, let him know them for the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. So like, may I just pray this over everyone listening to the podcast right now and over you and me too, Seth. Um, God, make us wise to understand the beauty of your love for us revealed in Hosea and on the cross. Um, make us discerning. Help us to know them as a husband knows his wife. Um, help us to see that your ways are right, even whenever they seem wrong to us. And help us to discover them, walk up them, and be made upright uh, and the bride of Christ as we pursue you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, guys, for Hosea. This has been fun. Yeah. Uh, it's been enlightening. Hosea was not the book I was expecting. Yep. But yep. I'm <laughs> very glad to have gone through it. But we'll be in Joel next. Joel. Joel. Super excited about very that. Very quoted book in the New Testament. It is. Yeah. So, so that'll be fun. Yeah. Okay. See you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel and our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.